trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, I'm not here with all the answers for you, but I'll tell you this. If I'm doing my job correctly, you may not agree with me, but you will become an unplayable chess piece on that great chessboard of life. Nobody is going to manipulate you because you'll be thinking for yourself. Like I said, you don't have to agree with me to reach that state. You just got to be willing to think. Having said that, I would like to introduce you to one of my favorite friends and thinkers. His name is John Harvey, and he is the host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. John, it's about time we had you on this program. Glad to be here, Brian. Kind of missed you, buddy. We haven't been doing any work together. I've been doing my thing. You've been doing your thing. And man, we're back on stage again. Just a couple of voices for freedom out here, you know, uh, working Absolutely. in our own way. And and for those Absolutely. who don't know, I, I've I've helped John with, with producing his Modern Conservative podcast. And, uh, and I've just really come to regard him as a trusted voice, a guy who will tell me how it is, you know, no BS, and and... Not because he has all the answers, but because he's he's doing the same thing I am, taking his best shot at let's speak the truth, let the chips fall where they may, and encouraging other people, you know, don't don't just go for comfortable lies. Exactly. Face it as you it know, is. I often I often sit tell people, you know, I don't know everything, but I know enough to make me the man who I am today. And and for the sake you of know, those who are meeting you for the first time, John, I, I want you to mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself. And I'm going to warn you, I, I know about your legendary modesty, but I want you to put that aside. <laughs> no, tell, tell us a little bit about your background, and who you are, what you do, and, and why you started the Modern Conservative Podcast. You know, for me, what happened, my story is 2020. Um, I had never really been into politics. You know, I knew life. I've lived life. I'm 50, at that time, I was 55 years old. And um, actually, no, 54 years old. And... Uh, I own a coffee shop and, you know, COVID came out and then, you know, you, you, I didn't agree with the COVID thing. The shutdown and, you know, the wearing the mask and all this other stuff. And I really didn't care much for it. And so for me, the Department of Health here in Utah was a bunch of, how do I say this word? Nazis. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> and uh, I, I felt, I mean, I could not comply. I would not comply with the mask wearing because I knew that the masks didn't stop a, a virus that was, you know, one point zero 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 one two nanometers. Uh, it was just way small. And I just started thinking to myself, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. And mind you, I never really got into politics until now. Um, so. My at the time, my Facebook had approximately three hundred followers, friends, I should say, and uh, I started posting things on Facebook, and that gained more and more and more traction. And I wasn't even doing it for traction; I was just doing it to. I, I wouldn't say being rebellious, but I was letting everybody know my thoughts that I didn't care much for this, didn't care much at all because it hurt businesses. You know, we were taking a shot; they wanted us to take a jab that hadn't been tested. You know, for all the wrong reasons, um, they were trying to get us to comply. And for all the right reasons, I refused to comply. I bet you don't regret that decision right now as you're looking around, do you? (laughs) I I do not. I do not at all because, you know, 
I have a lot of hmm moments, you know, those aha moments. And I, I say to people, I bet you wish you hadn't done that. Because those that are not vaccinated, we're still here. By the way, and, I don't uh, I don't know if you knew this. I don't want to take you down a sidetrack too far here, but no, 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 no. I just don't. learned yesterday that uh, there is a surveillance program in place at the behest of the CDC in which in the medical coding, when you go visit your doctor, one of the things that your doctor is being asked to or is being required to ask you is, are you vaccinated? Are you up to date on your boosters and so forth? And if your answer is no to either of those questions, there's a certain code that goes into your medical coding. It's not just private medical record at that point, though. That code can be accessed by insurance companies, presumably airlines, third parties, but they're tracking the unvaccinated. How's that make you feel? Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't doubt that at all, but guess, but I guess I'll keep drinking my green tea. Yeah. <laughs> Won't be seeing my doctor anytime soon, unless it's a need to know basis. But the thing is, you know what? <clears throat> COVID is not going to go away because it was a tool to gain power. You know, even, you know, if a, you know, a small breakout would happen out in, for example, Mexico, it always trickles up to the United States and then it becomes bigger. And then it becomes a fear factor to getting people to comply once again. You know, I've often said 2024 and the presidential election, we'll probably have another breakout. But this time, you know, with Donald Trump, you know, they brought the virus out because they want to destroy his economy, which they did. I don't know why they were bringing out the Bidens because it's not going to make his any better because he's already got a crappy economy. Well, it's, and it's so. Edward Snowden calls it manufactured panic or, you know, it's 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 just it's to get people scared, get them off balance and more likely to do what they're told. And and that's what we did. That's what most people did during, you know, covid. But hopefully along the way, a few people's eyes opened up and went, you know, all the stuff they were telling us wasn't really for our good, was it? It wasn't for our good. And people refuse to believe that, you know, I've, I've said them many, many times. So when I'm out speaking and having engagements with others, um, there's one thing I say quite a bit, and that says, you know, the difference between a conspiracy and the truth, that's about six months. That's yeah, true. <laughs> that's about six months. But those same exact people, instead of them saying, conceding to the truth, they'll find a way to say, we are still conspiracy theorists. You know, you know, that's not necessarily true. I did a show with Jason Preston on his show, uh, We Are the People. And uh, we had a transgender on the show. I asked a question, is there a difference between a man and a woman? And I asked, how many genders are they? And I said to him, um, no BS, no BS, I want a real number. And he and I say, he, he's, well, well, so I knew where he was going. I knew he was going to give me an answer that they like to tell themselves. Mm -hmm. But I said, in no time in 300,000 years that man's been on planet, has there ever been a man recorded having a child? True. He said to me, maybe they kept bad records. Wow. That was his answer. That was his answer. So that, back to COVID in the beginning of my endeavor into this uh this uh political realm um that's the kind of thinking that we're supposed to dismiss and give it credibility rather than stupidity call it for what it is so when i was 
you know, speaking on Facebook. And within three months, I went from 347 organic friends to 5,000. Which is the limit. And which is the limit on my personal page. And then I had to create a, a podcast page, you know, went, you know, the modern conservative podcast on Facebook. Then that got track traction and people started asking me to speak about COVID and I got traction. Now, mind you, I never thought to do this, what we do today. You know, when I first met you and I did my first podcast with Jamie Renda, that was my first, you were my first podcast when you were fed by Raven or she was fed by Raven. And then I've gotten people subsequently asking me, Hey, why don't you start doing your own podcast? And that's when I came to you and said, Hey, how do we do this? And from that point on, things have grown and expanded and, I now fight bills. I write laws. I try to, de- to, you know, get laws repealed, not repealed, but squashed from going, being implemented and signed by the governor. Um, I do a, a lot of stuff and I stay busy. And it's, and the good thing about this, I guess it's a good thing about it is, you know, I don't do it for the money because I haven't monetized anything that I do. I haven't gotten one red cent from, from doing any of the stuff that I've done. I do it because my children, in my country, um, for those who don't know, you know, I'm a conservative who happens to be black. And I say that only because I got tired of hearing how white people are called racist. I've got tired of, you know, you know, all the BS they've been, they're spreading and making my race the victim in this society. And everybody should yield to me because I'm black. I couldn't subscribe to that. It's one of the things that uh, drew me to you and and made you very credible in my eyes was the fact that uh, there is not a an atom of victimhood in in your persona. You are you're a guy who's going to go out there and make your way in the world. And actually, you're doing a damn fine job of making your way in the world. I'm trying. But the fact that you you aren't just uh, you know you're you're not speaking the message of freedom because hey this is going to make me rich. Um, and and you correct me if I'm wrong. We got to take a break here in a moment. But you're doing it because there's a need. You see a need and you're willing to step up and stick your neck out and do it. And to me, that's that's the right reason. And you're right. There is a need because you think about it. You know, white people told you they're racist for saying anything. Well, well uh, this is coming from a black man. Let's pick this up on, the other, speak out. on the other side yes, of the sir. break. Let's talk a little bit about uh, race in America. And again, my guest is John Harvey. He is the host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. You'll find a link in my show notes. It'll take you right to his website. Back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is John Harvey, host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. I do have to mention in full disclosure that uh, his website, TMCP Nation, is one of the sponsors of my show, and you'll find a link there in the sponsors. Um, Let's take a moment here. I want to give a shameless plug to uh, TMCP Nation and tell people about some of the cool stuff you've got on your website. I've I've tried to describe it, but we'll go to the source here. And John, tell tell me about, uh, you've got some really cool ways for people to express their love and support of freedom, don't you? I absolutely do. And a lot of shirts that I've created myself, so some of the language and text on the shirts that we created ourselves, and we tried not to use everybody else's. Now, there's some up there that you'll see that are things that are traditionally people seem to like, 
but I created some of my own um, shirts as well. And on the on the website, you can go there. You can see other sponsors, um, all conservatives, all conservatives, and uh, you can pick up gear, hats, shirts, um, stickers, and a lot much more than that. Now, obviously, I'm not on my website enough because obviously, I don't know everything I carry because I'm a dumbass. Well, you but have I'll you have people who work for you and who exactly, handle the exactly. little details, but this is it's it's fun and look, I, I don't know about you. I'm encouraged when I'm out and about and I see somebody with a shirt that's like, Hey <laughs> I can you tell know, this person thing, gets it. I've got a I just came out with a shirt this weekend. It said because <clears throat> I work at the Capitol a lot. And uh and so the shirt states this. It says if protecting children causes you to burn bridges well burn that bitch down wow <laughs> burn that bridge down i don't need anything other than for children to be protected protected so if i lose relationship because i'm protecting children so i don't care you're I, not a friend of mine i know in your state of utah the law has been passed and signed into law. The bill was passed and signed into law by the governor uh, protecting children uh, against uh, this push for transgender surgery and hormone treatments. And right now in Idaho, a very similar bill is making its way through the legislature. And boy, it, it really upsets um, the adherence to the woke religion. They, they feel like that is somehow drawing that protective boundary around minor children is uh, imposing religious values on everyone. As opposed to, yeah, we should encourage these kids to to take irreversible steps to try to change their bodies. And what amazes me, this is what amazes me, Brian, about these people. These people are so damn woke as if they, and but yet they have children as well. So if you're not willing to throw your children to the wolves, why should we? Right. Because I guarantee you, though, I guarantee you that these people who have children pushing this woke agenda don't think about, hey, what if your kid come out one day and say, hey, mom, dad, I'm a boy in a girl's body. How would they act? Really, how would they act? Because I'm sure a lot of these people pushing this crap because they're woke and they and, and their mindset is simply uh, that doesn't happen to my kid because little John is not little John East. Yeah, it's so. I, I Look, I think every one of us, if we think about it, we probably know a family who is affected by some child who is, or a young person who's going through this gender dysphoria and questioning, right. what gender am I? And I honestly believe it's more of a social contagion than, oh, we've discovered something that's plagued mankind from the beginning. This is a new thing. It's a fad. And the faster things go up, the faster they tend to come back down. But I think we all have compassion for, for people who are confused. Look, I have compassion for the girls I went to school with who were anorexic who could be, you know, under 100 pounds, look in the mirror and still think, I've got to lose weight. But it was in their head. The way they saw themselves was a disconnect between their mind and reality, and some of them would kill themselves to try to achieve that, that perfect body. You wouldn't encourage them, here, have some diet pills. You embrace who you are, you know, <laughs> like, like we're doing with these, these kids who are, you know, questioning their gender. Yeah, you should cut off healthy body parts. You should take these hormone treatments. You know, that, it just doesn't make sense. And the thing is, you know, but the, here's one of the biggest problems I have with all this woke crap. Woke crap is simply this: you're right; it is a fad. Fads trend and go away, but the problem is we're now creating laws based on a fad or a trend or a temporary mindset. 
And then these laws sometimes last for years. And sometimes these laws have a bunch of loopholes in them to where people can keep pushing the same agenda. Because the thing is this, what happens with these fads? They come out, they become public, uh, then they create laws, and then the fad disappears. But now what's happening is it's what's happening in the dark. It makes it legal now. For example, you know, chemical castration, you know, um, they want to make it legal. Puberty blockers, they want to make them legal. So if for, some for state minors. wants to make it legal. Exactly, for minors. So when they make it legal, the trend disappears because they want to take the focus off of it now that it's legal to do so. And this is what's going to happen down the road. Um, you know, the abortion laws in in some of these states, these blue states, you know, what amazes me about all this stuff that's going on today, the amount of women that are participating in the mutilation of women or the aborting of fetuses, it's as if these people that are pushing the abortion agenda, as if they don't have children, but yet eight times out of 10, they do have children. They know what comes out of a woman's wound. Right. Because everybody wants to participate in the woke agenda. They can push it down there push it down that that rabbit hole and let somebody else deal with it. But yet they're out there promoting it because they figure they'll never have to deal with it themselves. And this is the problem I have with all this crap that's going on today. When is it going to stop? I tell you when it's going to stop when people say, Hey, look, I get it. You can do you wherever you want to do you, but you don't do it in front of me and my kids. Yep. The drag queen story this, hour, you know. Exactly. What, since when do stop. guys in lingerie need children as an audience? When when did that become a good, positive, affirming thing? When do we need to have porn in our school libraries and, you know, and in our classrooms? You know, when does this stop? When is it going to stop? I tell you when it stops. When you get rid of the Democrat Party and those liberals. Now, I, I take kind of a broad view of this. And it's the Democrats are definitely the ones who are towing the line on this right now, at least in the, in the political sense. Right. But this is classic Marxism. It's classic left-wing disruption, revolution. We have to overturn everything that came before us was wrong or was oppressive, you know, to, to the lower classes. The proletariats have to rise up. And, and this is how you deconstruct a society. But, you know, drawing the line at sexualizing our children or encouraging our children to, to mutilate themselves out of some identity crisis... It's just another front on a ever-expanding war to try to implement leftism. And sadly, it's been really successful, not just in government, but look at all the institutions. Look at all the woke corporations out there. They've mm -hmm. captured a lot of the institutions in society, and, and that's, I guess, why they're not slowing down. And, it's you know, the triggers for a lot of this stuff is emotion and victimhood. There's always a victim, and there's always a bunch of emotions that people seem to think it supersedes the facts. And the problem is, and, I, and, I, and you know me well enough, I've told white people, stop worrying about what people are going to say about you when you speak the truth. Do not get caught up into this, you're white, you can't say anything, so sit your butt down and let us do, <laughs> let us run right over you. Check your privilege. <laughs> exactly. People, 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 stop it. That's not how we get this train back on the tracks. You stand up and you show resistance. You know, there's a saying that black people can't be racist. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. That's a lie. So you got to stand up and fight for what you believe in. 
You stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. And we're seeing our country falling because of lack of standing. So by now, you, so, the, you the listener, can understand. This is why I like John, because he just flat out says it like it is. And, uh, and we need voices like his out here uh, proclaiming truth because there are people looking for it. John is a great source to go to. It's the Modern Conservative Podcast. Where can people find your website, John? Uh, TMCPNation.com. That's TMCPNation.com. You can look up Brian. He's on my show as a sponsor. You can go watch podcasts, my podcast, and much more on the site. All right, John, great to have you on. I'm going to have you back. You know that. Please do. All right. We talk every week from now on. That's it. We talk every week. (laughs) This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. All right, I got to get personal for just a moment here. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to bleed on you, but sometimes, once in a great while, someone will ask me, Brian, why do you do what you do? And, and they're not being mean, necessarily, to ask this, but there's always a little bit of an implication there of, do you really think this is doing anything? Do you, is, is what you're doing accomplishing anything? And, and it's a hard thing to answer sometimes because, uh, first of all, I understand that uh, there are plenty of people out there, including people who I know and love, who think that uh, I'm about half nuts to talk about freedom, to talk about the things, to sound a voice of warning, to encourage people to stand up and think for themselves and, you know, reject the manipulations of the system. And they, they think, dude, you're just, uh, you're, you're barking into the wind, None of it matters. People don't really want to hear this, and I get that. This is not a message that everybody wants to hear. And yes, even people who I love and respect, many of them think I'm a little bit nuts. Maybe they think I'm a lot nuts. So why do it? Why would I, why would I continue to, to speak up on matters, particularly matters of the importance of maintaining, claiming, using, defending your personal freedom and your rights? And the only answer that I can give is because it brings joy to me. And, and I, I feel a, a very strong personal sense that this is something that not only I, I want to do, but I feel like I need to do it. In fact, I, I don't want to sound presumptuous here. I'm not trying to say you know, I'm God's gift to, to the cause of freedom. But I believe that God planted in my heart a seed of love of freedom and, and, and gave me abilities that I've been blessed enough to be able to develop through my life to where I can, can effectively speak on this topic, knowing full well that it's not a message that everybody is going to want to hear. But here's the thing. I know there are some people for whom this is a subject of great importance. In fact, they're actively seeking truth. They're seeking encouragement on this matter. And I don't know what their numbers are. I never know how many people are hearing this message. And I don't want to sound flippant, but I really don't care because I'm just doing my best to deliver that message for whomever is listening to the very best of my ability. You know, there are far more profitable ways that I could have used my time and my talents. Had I chosen to, for instance, tow the uh, establishment line or to bolster the official narrative... Yeah, I think there's there's plenty of money and, and fame that, uh, that I've passed on because I wasn't willing to do that. 
I'm okay with that. Because my personal compass is calibrated and I'm confident I'm, I'm pointing and I'm headed in a direction that my creator would want me to, to be headed. And again, I'll come back to the idea. I find joy in it. In fact, I want to share with you some thoughts from a column from J.B. Shirk about how to be a joyful warrior, how to make it a personal calling. Shirk says, perhaps the most difficult thing in life is finding genuine contentment. We set goals for ourselves, we strive to reach them, and when we do, any momentary happiness goes poof, awfully quick, as we seek and set new goals once again. So at some point, even the most driven and ambitious among us will wonder, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And he says, that's a good thing. J.B. Shirk says, I don't have much figured out about this life, but I do believe we are constantly meant to ask ourselves the big questions. Why am I here? What's the point of our existence? Are there lessons I'm supposed to learn along the way? What comes next? And the funny thing about asking big questions is that doing so tends to put all the things in life that ordinarily drag us down into startling perspective. It's only natural to get upset about domestic politics or higher fuel and food prices, growing censorship and encroaching state tyranny. It's much more difficult to rise above those problems and keep trudging ahead. Eventually, all the turmoil either gets the better of us or we realize that the turmoil, no matter how large in scope, or it still pales in comparison to the meaning of life. When you think in terms of why am I here and what am I meant to do, well, the terrible things around us start to look more like opportunities than problems. Oh man, he is so right. Now he says there's also, that is also around the time where you realize there's a distinction between happiness and joy. He says, whereas happiness brings a sense of pleasure and personal satisfaction, satisfaction rather, it's both ephemeral and misleading. What makes us happy today may leave us bored, distraught, or even angry tomorrow. Just as with setting goals and achieving goals, happiness won is soon lost. Joy, on the other hand, is a much more enduring state of being, a kind of spiritual triumph that exists when a person sees beyond the struggles of life and feels connected with something more. Can you find your meaning and keep moving forward when nothing seems to be going your way? Can you distinguish between the things within you, within your control rather, and those that are not, and accept the difference? Can you recognize that life is more than a quest for pleasure and comfort and see the value in struggle and pain? Do you have a bond with a loved one that is indestructible? If so, then you have no doubt experienced some measure of joy that is entirely yours and can never be taken away. He also points out that experiencing joy connects us with the divine. We become acutely aware that we are both part of something bigger than ourselves, as well as singularly in charge of our fates. Joyfulness clears out the clutter that keeps us from seeing truth clearly. It's a path toward inner peace. One breath at a time, recognize your life as something more than just a collection of toys. Once you find joy and learn to guard it from the outside world, then problems look much different and sometimes melt away. He says, most of the atheists I've met describe their understanding of existence in one of two ways, either as the mathematically preordained result of deterministic events or as the strange conclusion of a long string of random occurrences. Either the laws of physics determined that roughly 13.8 billion years after the Big Bang, we would all be sitting around reading American Thinker together, or the unpredictable chaos of the universe took one wacky turn after the next until stumbling into our present reality. 
Either way, neither random chaos nor mathematical determinism leaves much notion, much room rather for notions of free will or a sacred understanding of life. And since atheism is far more prevalent among political leftists, it seems counterintuitive that they get so angry when they don't get their way. He says, I always think if there is no God and free will is imaginary, then why is it so imperative that the left's worldview be imposed on everyone? If life is no different than a pile of rocks and our choices are nothing more than complex math equations, then why can't leftists stand back and accept the world as it unfolds? Just as there never seem to be any atheists in a foxhole, there never seem to be any leftists inclined to forfeit the exercise of their own free will, especially when doing so would sacrifice their control over everyone else. J.B. Shirk says no matter how strenuously leftists describe human beings as nothing more than algorithms that can be hacked and programmed for optimal control, their efforts evince an uncomfortable understanding that we humans are much more than biological robots or complex chemical reactions with moving parts. Humanity's future is predicated on deliberate choice. The choices of those who seek substantial control over everyone else and the choices of those who will refuse to be controlled. A battle is shaping up between competing forces of free will. Within this battle, certain things ring true. To be alive is special. To be a part of this universe is special. To be conscious of our existence in such a vast world and yet to feel intimately connected to that vastness is special. We are not ones and zeros. We're not simple code. We are part of something much greater. And so he says, seen from this perspective, the events that dominate our days are very small. Joe Biden's reckless policies do not matter. The Federal Reserve's money printing does not matter. The growing national security surveillance state does not matter. The World Economic Forum's attempts to remake and dominate the world do not matter. What matters is how each of us responds to those threats and the choices we individually make. He says, when we refuse to abide the will of powerful interests and instead ask the big important questions in life. We make those with power feel uncomfortably small. We connect to things much larger than ourselves. We place ourselves on a path toward finding authentic joy. We open our lives to the helping hands of God. One breath at a time, one choice at a time, an amazing thing happens when you put yourself in His hands. The powers that be here on earth become astonishingly weak. And so J.B. Shirk concludes by saying, perhaps being a joyful warrior merely requires a willingness to trust in God so completely that courage vanquishes fear and the joy of righteous struggle replaces doubt. Rebellion to tyrants, Benjamin Franklin said, is obedience to God. That sentiment will always win out. I'll tell you what, man, this guy is my brother from another mother. I, I so resonate with what he's saying. Now, I'm hoping that you do as well. I'm sure there are some people who are like, yeah, this, <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. You'll be happy to know. I've included a link in today's show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You can actually check out this essay for yourself, maybe share it with some friends. But even if it doesn't resonate with you, thank you for taking the time to at least listen to it and consider it. I think it is possible to be a joyful warrior. That's what I intend to be. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I know we've all heard the phrase, uh, cooking with gas. Now you're cooking with gas. And I never really understood the history behind that phrase, but now that uh, there's been some some actual serious talk about, you know, maybe what we need to do is start limiting gas stoves and and uh, use of natural gas in homes, which for the longest time was was really the thing to do because it was such a clean burning fuel. Um, I'm paying more attention to that phrase. In fact, I have a wonderful essay here from John Sanders. This was published by the American Institute for Economic Research. The new study finds approach to overregulation, and he starts with the phrase, now we're cooking with gas. John says this classic Americanism carries the sense of definite progress, things working according to plan and being headed to success, perhaps after an uncertain start. It has the same rhetorical heft as full steam ahead. It was popularized by radio stars Bob Hope and Jack Benny in the 1930s, even used in a Daffy Duck cartoon. It originated, however, from brilliant marketing insight. In the 1930s, gas-fired stoves and their electric competitors were vying to replace old wood-fired stoves. Rather than use the slogan in print and television advertisements, however, the American Gas Association public relations executive, Carol Everhard, or Deke Hulgate, decided to plant it with Hope's scriptwriters. And it soon became the comedian's catchphrase, and Benny and others picked it up from there as it entered the public lexicon. Interesting, right? Nearly a century later, however, the environmental zealots in the Biden administration and their media apologists would like to make cooking with gas much harder or impossible to do. When new research purporting to link gas stove use with asthma in children appeared in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health on December 21st of 2022, they must have thought, now we're cooking with gas. Coming from researchers at RMI, a think tank seeking a clean energy revolution, the University of Sydney and Albert Einstein College of Medicine, the research filled the, the role of a study since the COVID era. Just provide a modicum of new study finds justification for predetermined government intervention and let the state-awed media do the rest. That sounds about right. Pandemic policies showed that lack of rigor notwithstanding, few are those who will say, to hell with your study. This isn't the government's business in the first place. The study in question could serve as a classroom example of confusing correlation with causation. The authors started with 357 studies using a keyword search, which they whittled down to a handful of potentially pertinent studies based on narrowing their focus to data specific only to the U.S. and Europe. Now, coincidentally, it meant they discarded the most comprehensive study in the research literature on the subject. That was a 2013 study for Phase 3 of the International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Childhood which involved 512,707 primary and secondary school children from 108 centers in 47 countries. By the way, that study found no evidence of an association between use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis. So the authors instead used combined estimates of gas stove effects on the risk of developing childhood asthma in North America, three studies, and Europe, seven studies, then estimated the proportion of children in U.S. households with gas stoves using data from the American Housing Survey. So there's no measure of the exposure level of any child to a household gas stove. But by a string of inferences and associations, they churn out a statistic that 12.7% of current childhood asthma nationwide is attributed to gas stove use, which is similar to the childhood asthma burden attributed to secondhand smoke exposure. 
<clears throat> the phrase attributed to certainly seems to point to the finger of causation. Nevertheless, one of the study's authors, Brady A. Seals, told Washington Examiner the study does not assume or estimate a causal relationship between childhood asthma and gas stoves. Oh? Even if the study were not assuming causality by using language indicating causality, its authors assumed they knew how to mitigate it. Given that this exposure is preventable, our study demonstrates that known mitigation strategies will lessen childhood asthma burden from gas stoves. That's what they wrote. Now, by demonstrates, they mean made up. We can conceive a broad-based public health intervention to reduce the disease risk in children exposed to gas cooking to that of the unexposed, which would be removing the source by replacing gas cooking with cleaner alternatives, in other words, electric, and reducing exposure through source ventilation, in other words, range hoods. So to recap, the authors chose a handful of studies, discarded 35 times as many as they chose, including one that involved over half a million children across four dozen countries, aggregated the gas stove risks estimated by the few they kept, used the housing survey to project how many kids are in homes with gas stoves, and determined that about one in eight cases of childhood asthma can be attributed to something that is in two of every five homes. That's causation in the same way that a guess in the game of Clue is forensic science. Rather than the magnitude of their findings giving them pause, let alone the fact that they never measured the exposure level of any child to gas stove usage, they immediately <clears throat> proposed mitigation strategies, leading with replacing gas cooking. Now, John Sanders points out, it was well-timed. The American people were just becoming aware of efforts within the U.S. Consumer Protection Safety Commission going back to October of 2022 to regulate and potentially ban gas some gas stoves and the people were infuriated then energy secretary jennifer granholm told an arizona news station it was all so ridiculous mere days before the department of energy proposed new energy use limits on stoves never mind the cpsc the doe's rules are so restrictive that they would eliminate most current models of gas stoves effectively banning an estimated 95 percent of them taping taking up a whopping 86 pages in the federal register these rules had obviously been in the works for a while. So these pre-existing regulatory efforts got that crucial new study finds lifeline. Gas stove pollution causes 12.7% of childhood asthma study finds, reported the Washington Post. About 12% of childhood asthma cases can be linked to gas stove use, according to a new study, said U.S. News & World Report. One in eight cases of asthma in U.S. kids caused by gas stove pollution. Study, the Guardian declared. You, you, Yahoo News opted for, gas stoves have given 650,000 U.S. children asthma. Study finds. So as this decade has made plainly evident, the distinction between correlation and causation is not important to those who want to expand governmental power. An aggressive bureaucracy needs only an affectation of justification for a regulation or ban already in the works. Isn't that helpful to know? Thank you, John Sanders, for taking the time to, uh, to flesh this out and give us some serious intellectual ammunition for rejecting the whole a study shows mentality. Besides, I love cooking with gas. So there's that too. 
All right. Quick follow-up here on an article I shared a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm including a link to a new article by Robin Kerner. Robin's article titled, uh, How the Unvaccinated Got It Right. I shared excerpts from this on the show a couple of weeks ago. And apparently this was a big article for Robin. He says a couple of weeks ago, he posted that article. It received more attention than anything he's written in many years being reposted on many sites. But a little while ago, he says people who shared my article on Facebook discovered that no one could open it first without being psychologically primed to distrust it. Sure enough, here's a screenshot. Missing context. Independent fact checkers say this information could mislead people. So the missing context, independent fact checkers you know, they're warning us, you better not trust this. <clears throat> now, he says, I'm not sure who Mark Zuckerberg thinks he is. Robin says, nor do I know much about Tom Kersher, the gentleman who wrote the article that Facebook provides to its users to save them from being misled by my work. But he goes through and point by point refutes Mr. Zuckerberg and Mr. Kircher. He says, maybe they are sincerely concerned about truth. Maybe the and maybe we should examine the points that they claim weigh against my article. But it sounds a lot like just plain old, you know, sophistry. Well, here's why, in our informed opinion, this couldn't possibly be true. But those censorious warnings that are now slapped over post containing Robin Kerner's original article, How the Unvaccinated Got It Right, would seem to imply that Facebook is so determined that information presented on its platform does not mislead for lack of context that it's willing to actually engage in illegal collusion with the government to satisfy that goal. This is a really wonderful article. It's a fairly lengthy one, so you want to give yourself a little bit of time to check it out. It is posted in my show notes. This is for February 16th, 2023. But I would encourage you, go to thebrianhideshow.com and check this one out for yourself. I'm really finding a lot from Robin Kerner. You know, he just popped onto my radar screen a couple of months ago. In fact, it was either that article or his article on positional versus personal morality that first got my attention. But this dude makes a ton of sense. So I would strongly recommend uh, when you see something coming out from him, maybe take a moment and give it a read. This is The Brian Hyde Show.